Hello everyone, I'm Ismail Pai Civico and I wish you all a very warm welcome to a new episode of The Civic Podcast. Now, in this episode, as you can see from the title, I'm going to be speaking a bit about migration, asylum seeking, multiculturality, integration, and everything that englobes all of that, because I think that right-wing and left-wing populism is equally nefarious to the conversation that needs to be had, where in the end, the rights of people that are really in precarious situations, and namely by this, I mean refugees, need to be respected, and we really need to start having the difficult conversations that need to be had in order to understand each other. Hello everyone and welcome again to the Civic Podcast. So as you can see from the title and also from the introduction, um, I'm going to be diving a bit into the issue of migration, of asylum seeking and of what you could even say at an end point into uh, multiculturality. Um, again, I'm not entirely sure, and this is a short disclaimer so, you, so everyone knows, um, I don't pre-think before the title of the video in itself and I don't do the introduction first. I always want to dive into the conversation or the monologue in this case, and see a bit where it leads me. Um, again, most of the topics now is just me doing monologues, but I really do want in the future when when the situation uh, allows it due to COVID um, to actually bring people and discuss these issues a bit more in depth. But then again, until then, I need to do content basically uh, for every Wednesday, or at least I try to uh, stay with that schedule as much as possible. Uh, so up until then, it's just me speaking about things that I deem really, really relevant and try and shed some light let's say on the issues that we are seeing and living today and a bit of the conversations that are going around what are the different arguments uh, on each side of the aisle and uh, just try to bring a bit more of general comprehension on, on the topic and motivate everyone to do their research on on every single topic and see a bit where that where that, where that leads us um but then again the the topic of today is a bit of migration and of asylum seeking and Again, at an end point, most likely I'll be speaking about multiculturality and where it works and where it doesn't. Um, this topic, again, is something that has been so politicized everywhere. Uh, from the right to the left, people are using the migration topic, let's say, uh, to fulfill their political agenda in one specific way or another. And both sorts of populism I completely despise because they're using people as bargaining chips. In, in, in different ways, in different senses, but in the end, it's just in the same goal. It's just to achieve their own political agenda. So I, I really do want to try and be not as unbiased, because of course I have my biased point of view, but as as clear, let's say, as possible, so you can really understand my, my sense of reasoning regarding these issues. Um, at the same time, actually, I wanted. To, I just want to say this before I before I start diving into the topic. I have been. I've I've listened to some few clips on my previous episodes, and I realize I do quite a lot of grammar mistakes in what, when I speak or in vocabulary and and things like that, which is quite it's quite embarrassing actually for me because I don't usually do that in a way. But again, when you get into these difficult topics and you have so many thoughts coming through your 
coming through your head basically it is sometimes very difficult to put your to put your ideas in a way um where in a way that are comprehensive and at the same time you're not really making too many mistakes in the in in, in the way you're explaining them. for example for example uh in the previous episode i kept saying to argument you don't say to argument say to argue and things of the sort i mean it's embarrassing because English is indeed my, my, my mother tongue, or at least I was born by lingua in Spanish and English. And uh, well, sometimes I do actually do quite a lot of these mistakes, but hell, um, nobody's perfect. We all do mistakes, especially in language. I know that very well. Um, and again, I apologize if, if these things bug you in a way, but again, I can't really do much about it because I always try to, to improvise these podcasts in a way because I don't really like to have a, a script, a prepared script, because it doesn't allow me to to get the creativity that I actually need to enter into these topics. That's why I don't really like pre-prepared scripts. And I and, and if I have a pen in my hand, because I like having pens in my hands when when I speak. But that's just basically it. So it's just a short disclaimer for all the content. Uh, it's never actually really prepared. I do try to, in my head beforehand, think a bit about other topics I want to actually cover. And, and then from there, just see where it leads us. And I'm also quite tired, so I'm probably going to be drinking quite a lot of water. Mm. Anyway, let's get cracking with the topic of migration and asylum seeking. And in the end, I guess we'll probably speak about multiculturality. So now the issue with migration has been is that there's a big misunderstanding on what is a refugee or an asylum seeker and what is an economic migrant, right? There are two very different things. And you have people on the right putting them all in one same sack. They do not want to differentiate what is a refugee and what is an economic migrant. And people on the left doing exactly the same thing. They are confusing people, which are actually in the, in the big majority economic migrants, and exposing them as if they were refugees, which is two very different things in, in itself. Um, and, and, and this, I think, is the core of the issue, uh, because we need to understand what can we do for each demographic, for each group of people. So we have one group of people which is an imminent threat to their lives, which you could say are refugees or are in uh, war-twill zones, um, who are being persecuted politically, they are being pers persecuted socially, either in the private or public sphere based on the sexuality, for example, uh, in various countries. I'm going to mainly speak about countries outside the EU, even though it does happen quite a bit also in the private sphere in the EU. Uh, and there are a few countries where that's getting a bit dodgy now. I'm not going to start pinpointing names, but if you know a bit the issue about homophobia or or people actually being persecuted based on their sexuality, uh, you will know which countries I am addressing uh, within the EU. And those are issues that, of course, need to get addressed within the EU in itself because there are big problems that we are facing today. Now, when it comes to issues outside the European Union, um, that's where we really need to have a more open mind because we are getting completely misled by different sorts of narratives. And I'm going to dismount first the narrative of the right. Uh, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not even going to say the right, I'm going to say the, 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 the far right. Or And I'm, this doesn't mean the far right in every country is the same. Again, far right is very relative. The far right just means to which extent are they, are they um, far away from the centre of that given political spectrum in each country. And depending where the center places itself, the right is going to be more far right or more center right. So it really depends on the country. So not every far right in every country has the same narrative. Again, uh, we shouldn't just assume that every single far right party says the same thing about migrants or doesn't. So that's the first thing I, I, I want to lay out 
clearly right now, which when I speak about far right, um, I'm not speaking about, I'm not saying that every country has a far right party. Uh, most of them do. But then again, people are just gonna say, oh, far right, that's everything right to the center, which is not the case again. But anyway, coming back to the far right, uh, what I don't like about the narrative in itself is that they really want to reduce migration to a point where you keep the purity or quote unquote the purity of a country and that by that I mean the ethnic and religious purity of one country. That's why they want their borders to be as less porous as possible. They don't want people to enter. And this is not just based on demographics, it's also based on beliefs, on culture. They do not want a mix of culture, a, a, a sense of multiculturality. And this is why I think we always come back to the term multiculturality and how it's being politicized and used on both sides and what actually works and what doesn't in multiculturality. In any case, so this is what the right tries to do generally, or again, the, the far right. I, I hate speaking about the political spectrum, but just so, because I think it makes no sense nowadays to speak about the political spectrum. Um, but again, just so you understand a bit where I'm coming from. So you have these kind of narratives on the far right, again, uh, trying to put everyone in one same sack, trying to say, okay, this is the issue that we're encountering. Um, it's an invasion, is this or is that? Now, Definitions of invasion, you can, it's very relative. It depends what kind of invasions you are speaking about. If you're speaking about illegal immigration, if you're speaking about economic immigration, about refugees, uh, about asylum seekers, everything has their own definition and everything needs to be treated individually. If you just put everything in one same sack, you will come to the issue which we really are encountering where we're starting to confuse um, and not really discern what is an economic migrant and what is a refugee. And in the end, the people that end up losing here are the people that are really in need, and those are the refugees. Because you cannot, let's say, measure the level of need between refugees and economic migrants in the same way. Again, refugees are people that are in an imminent threat to their lives, and they have all the right in the world to claim asylum in a safe country where they will be safe. And that's basically what defines a refugee. An, an economic migrant is different. An economic migrant is someone that, mo that wants to move to another country just to get a better prospect, a better life prospect, let's say, or just to get a better life, get a better job, live better, have better housing, have better social security, um, have better transport, whatever, just to gain a better life. That's an economic migrant. But those people generally are not in imminent threat to their lives, which basically, makes the big big difference between both groups and i think that really is where we need to try and make the distinction between both and stop letting being so politicized so that's the narrative on the right they want to put everyone in one same sack because they don't want they want the borders to be as less porous as possible now when people say we do not want illegal immigration that is something different when you don't want illegal immigration that's just wanting to respect the law of any given country and there are lots of issues with the laws, uh, especially the, the 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 migration laws and the asylum seeking laws, which I will try and bring up a bit in just in a second, in a few minutes, or, or when I finish the the right and left distinction. Um, so that's we those we can address. But when the law is the law, the law needs to be respected because if you really start to just interpret the law however you want to do it or use it to your own benefit, that can, you don't you don't really know where that can actually stop. At that point, you would just keep infringing and infringing and infringing and then the law is there just to look nice right it has absolutely no no power to make people do anything and that's where we're really coming into a big issue because in a democratic society you need law and you need the law to actually make society work in general we're not going to get now into a legal class but everyone knows why the law is there if not it would just be complete chaos 
everywhere. So the law needs to be respected regardless if it's just or not. Now, there are different degrees of laws, of course, but in, in a general manner, that is my position on the law. Now, we can debate whether some laws are unjust or unfair. That's why politics is there to actually change laws that have been previously in vigor or that you, that you want to implement now because of some, some specific social issues that your country is facing. Uh, the, that way the dialogue comes in and the, and the ping pong match comes between both aisles, between every single party to say, okay, what can we do today uh, in the current socioeconomic situation to actually make a better life? But again, we're not here to speak about the law. That's just it. When when the law is the law, it needs to be respected regardless. And this is a big issue nowadays because people keep bringing up Ill illegal migration and they keep saying, oh, you're against illegal migration, then you must be a xenophobe, right? Or you must be an Islamophobe. Uh, well, yeah, you could say Islamophobe because most of the immigration into the EU uh, is Muslim, generally. Well, not most, but a big part, or at least the one that's been... Uh, highlighted the most in the media nowadays is always we always speak about Muslim migration and I think that's where we're going to come a bit later into multiculturality but that's the main issue right there right on the right and then we can discuss about the laws and how they need to be changed and how we can actually make it fairer for migrants that come into this country to either have a better life uh, generally that's when it comes to economic migrants when it comes to asylum seekers are going to get into that just in a second now when it comes to the left they use a different approach when it comes to the left, or at least the extreme left, again, I'm not going to put everything in one same in one same sack, but I am going to try and make the distinction so everyone actually understands where I'm, what I'm explaining right here. The extreme left, or not even now, I mean, you have a lot of centrist parties, leftist parties, center-left parties that really are using the same narrative, and it's using the guilt narrative. It's using the guilt narrative based on past colonizing of, of European countries or Western countries, saying, we're the ones that torn apart their countries they should have all the right to to live the way we do right so so they use more narrative of guilt and of and of try to push this fake solidarity let's say uh into the mix so so basically you can't you can't have the conversation on who can enter or who cannot enter a country uh and then it comes saying anyone can enter anyone can enter however they want if someone is coming into your country legally is mean means because they really need it now that's not always the case and i'm going to give a, a little short anecdote a bit later on on why that's not always the case when every, everyone that comes illegally doesn't necess isn't necessarily an imminent threat to their lives and that's why i want people to make the really the really careful distinction between economic migrants and refugees two completely different things so the left uses more that narrative and they say that if you criticize any sort of migration and it's generally the generally the migration that's been criticized quite a bit um, is illegal migration. But then again, you, you always have parties that actually criticize migration in itself and they don't want any sort of migration from Muslim countries or from any other sorts of countries. And those political parties or political actors should also be condemned in their own in their own game. Right. Because these narratives are indeed dangerous for some specific societal issues that may later cause quite a lot of division and conflict in within the countries that we are today. Mm. So as a narrative of the left, it's the narrative of guilt, of solidarity, of saying uh, they have the right to be here as much as you have the right. Now, I, I brought this up before, and I do think the, the biggest sort of privilege a human being can have, firstly, is geographic privilege. I mean, by, by geographic privilege, it's basically the, the 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 random designation of place of birth 
that you have, right? We, we don't choose where we are born. We don't choose where we are from. And when it comes to geographic privilege is that your life changes immensely depending on where you were born and where you live and where you possess that nationality from, right? That's one of the main privileges everywhere. A person that lives in Belgium, uh, sorry, that, that is born in Belgium or in any Western or in any case European country or Western country um, will automatically have better chances in life than someone that is born in Botswana, for example, or in Ethiopia or in, um, or in Venezuela or in, in some parts of Asia, right? that's just a fact. So the equality opportunity is not there on a worldwide scale. But then again, we can speak about equality in, in different manners. And that is something that I brought up previously too. Um, so that's the number one privilege. We we need to acknowledge that, that you will never have, you'll always be more privileged depending on your geographic situation, generally, right? Generally, that's the thing again. And then again, secondly, socioeconomic uh, privilege. And I hate to bring up the, the term privilege because I think it's something that it's so misunderstood and it's so politically used to it. Things like white privilege, uh, male privilege, these kind of things that aren't really quantifiable and you can't really legislate towards those kind of notions, right? But when it comes to socioeconomic, for example, you can try and make the, the socioeconomic structures, let's say, or the, or the welfare structures, to give more opportunities to the people that are at the bottom of those hierarchies, right? So that's something something that can be actually implemented into legislation because it's not discriminating people um, based on things like skin color or sex, right? Or gender or whatever you may call it, which is something completely different. Then again, I hate bringing up the term privilege, but I really just want to take out off the table these disgusting terms like white privilege or male privilege. I think they are completely appalling. And I think we really, we really need to have that conversation at some point. But this is something we really need to acknowledge. It's based on geographic privilege. Now we need to understand, right? If it, if it were up to me, and I think this is generally what the EU should have, it's a general asylum-seeking policy. Um, where, for example, I, I, tru I, tru I do truly believe that any person that is an imminent threat to their lives, whether it may be for their sexuality, for their political leanings in one specific country, um, just because they're in a war-torn country, based on their faith, Again, this is something that is happening. I get, I suppose you didn't know that the most persecuted faith in the world is Christianity. For example, it is. So uh, people should not be persecuted just based on, on, on personal life choices or, or just the way they were born or just the way they are, as long as they're not harming anyone else. That is just something that we really try to, to understand and, and to promote in the West in general. Uh, not always, but that's, I, I believe, one of our main pillars uh, in our beliefs or in our or in our moral structures and values. Um, so the people that are an imminent threat to their lives should be the one that's that on the first jet coming into a safe asylum. Now, there's always an issue then when it comes to asylum seeking, because I'm not entirely informed about the whole asylum process. I am a minimum, but not t totally. So one issue I've been I've, I've I've understood to be an issue is that you do not have asylum seeking centers, let's say, where you can claim asylum uh, in the country from which you are fleeing. So usually you do need to go through a very dangerous endeavor to get to a specific place through very, very dangerous, uh, let's say, voyages or, or adventures or I'm not going to call it adventures, but you understood the for I'm really for, for the lack of a better word 
um, for journey, let's say, as you, let, let's use the term journey, very dangerous journeys to get to a place where you can claim asylum. If I understood that, it's maybe something the UK, again, I'm not entirely sure about this, but from what I understood, the UK doesn't have any asylum seeking centers outside of the UK. So if you want to claim asylum in the UK, you have to arrive in the UK illegally and then from there, apply for asylum. That is a really bad policy. Again, because then how can you control people that come there illegally and you have no actual records of them? What I do think is that the EU or general Western countries where are generally safe for these people that are being persecuted uh, in other countries, they should have asylum seeking centers uh, in the hotspots. People that can go there, explain the situation and claim asylum in one specific country and have loads of them around. And then I'm speaking individually for countries that are not only in the EU, like the UK, for example. Then when it comes to the EU, it needs to be a, con a common asylum-seeking policy. And that maybe is one of the few things where I can be considered more like a European federalist in a way, because I do think there needs to be a common asylum-seeking policy. Why? Because the countries at the borders, uh, geographically speaking, so southern and eastern European countries, are usually the ones that are going to, um, to absorb the migration influx, let's say. Those are the ones that are going to absorb it. So either the economic impact, because there is an economic impact always, and the social impact, again. Um, and this is just based on, ge on ge geographical placement, because if you want to get into the EU, whether it's generally it's through land or through the sea, you're generally going to come, and, and this I'm speaking about either uh, African, Northern African, uh, Middle Eastern countries, uh, you generally are going to come through one of these surrounding countries that surrounds the EU and these countries in their most part do not have the same capacity um, as other European countries like northern countries or northern western countries cent central European countries by this I mean Germany the Netherlands Belgium uh, and so on and so forth so that's a big issue because then again they're just chucking um the problem onto countries that can't absorb it as well as other countries where their economy really is better to to absorb this this impact because it is an impact i mean in 2015 2016 i think the whole population just based on migration uh on mainly refugees uh i think from the syrian war generally uh which is a, a horrible atrocity i've heard many stories of it and i think it's just it's, it's horrible what's happening in a lot of countries um especially in syria you have the population rose 1%, 1% just based on refugees in, in Germany. And I, I need to check that fact again, but that was in, in, in between the, the great, let's say, migration crisis. Um, cri people tend to believe or tend to think that crisis always is meant in a negative manner. Um, it is in some sort addressed in a negative manner, but it's also addressed to say when something comes unexpectedly or when something comes with a bigger force than you expected it to be right so um just in that regard again we shouldn't always start to say oh you call it a crisis then that means uh, you must be again against the migration what, what what i am against personally is uncontrolled migration and and then again we, we're going to speak about the numbers in migration because it's not the same thing bringing in 1,000 people and bringing in, one th uh, sorry, 100,000 people and bringing in 1,000 people. So I think numbers are very, very important in that manner too. And I'm seeing that this podcast is going to go on for quite a while. Usually I want to take it to 30 minutes, but I think this is a topic that really I'm going to try and be as thorough as possible with it. Um, so that's something we need to take into account. 
is that Northern European countries and, and Central European countries and Western European countries should actually try and do something to aid the countries at the borders. We're seeing the issues that has been happening with Greece quite a bit, in Spain, in Italy, uh, where in the end, the people that are coming, what, for whatever their reason, again, most of these people, um, I think I saw the numbers uh, on the Greek islands, most of them were economic migrants. Uh, most of them were not refugees or are not refugees still up, up to today. And the, and the situation there is... It's, it's atrocious. People are living in really, really bad conditions. You're making them stay in camps. Uh, no actual good water, no good facilities. Food must be horrible. People are living in really, really bad situation in these camps. And they're not just on the Greek islands. You also have uh, refugee camps in, in Central Europe and Western Europe where people actually, when they come to claim asylum, they need to stay there for a, for a certain number of time until their their case is 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 studied and is tested and see if they can actually claim asylum or not and again i think the whole the whole process is complete is is complete crooked because a lot of people actually do need to get to a safe space really in the end are the ones getting jeopardized in the end because they they wait for three four five six months um at the risk of their lives and and they cannot safely claim asylum because of the big distinction that people are not making between economic migrants and refugees and that is my main issue the people that are really getting hurt by this uh misinformation or lack of understanding are refugees themselves um and i'm going to bring up a small anecdote i'm not going to say the time the place or when and how with whom i was in this place and people were claiming uh to speak arabic people were claiming uh to say that that, that they were from Middle Eastern countries. Now, ethnically, they did not look like Middle Eastern. Ethnically, they looked like Central African, Western African um, people. Again, I'm going to make that assumption. I'm not entirely sure where they were from, but it's just, just so you understand. So I, so I was with a friend that um, that is Middle Eastern, uh, that does speak the language. He grew up there. Um, and anyway, so so we were there, and, and, and they were saying, yeah, we, we speak Arabic. I say, awesome. Okay, so we went there, went to speak with them, and... And my friends had to speak with them in Arabic, and they knew nothing in Arabic. They they they, they didn't know how to they did not know how to speak Arabic. And basically, what happened here is that this group of people, and I'm not speaking about two or three people, I'm speaking about 25, 30 people in in one specific place. Um, they were basically they they only knew a few words in Arabic to make people think that they were coming from these war torn countries. But in reality, they are just economic migrants. Now, we can come back to the definitions on what is a refugee and what is an economic migrant. People could argue that if someone does not even have enough to eat or doesn't have shelter or 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 has a really bad health care or is really at risk of dying because of hunger or other things, that they can be considered refugees. And I, and I hear that statement. But until that distinction, or until that conversation is not had on what can be considered a refugee and what, can, and what is considered an economic migrant, it is very difficult to discern both of them. And there's always going to be people that are going to take advantage of that system and of, and of that lack of understanding between both definitions. Again, uh, when it comes to refugees, people that are really in imminent threat to their lives, they should be the first ones on a, on a private jet, if, if need be, to get to to save to save space in, in 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 Europe or in just Western society in general, or not necessarily Western society. There there are others. There are other countries that are also safe for these people. Um, either you can speak about Northern Africa or some place in in in, in the Middle East where are still safe. Um, 
But then again, there needs to be a little bit more cooperation when it comes to these humanitarian crises that are happening in these countries. People really need help. People where just by by the look of or the bad look of the draw where they were born or, or the bad people that are around them, they need to be submitted to these horrible situations that they are under. Uh, and I really do think that in the end, they, those are the ones being jeopardized by this, by this bad policy or this bad dialogue generally because it's just being so politicized and again I explained before what's the point of view on the right on the left both of them don't really want to discern what is an economic migrant and a refugee uh, on the left they want to say you're an economic migrant you're also a refugee uh, on the right they want to say uh, you're a refugee don't care you're an economic migrant right uh, and, and this is really like doing a caricature of of the of the point of view in a way which I really do not want to do but just so you understand a bit what both perspectives are and I think both are, are equally nefarious. Now when it comes to the numbers there's something something very very interesting to to understand uh, and, and then we're going to get into multiculturality. When it comes to the numbers in migration it's not the same thing integrating because then again you always, have, you always have also the part of integration of these migrants. You you can never expect people to to adopt in a day or two or in a month or in a year directly the new culture to which they are they are open to and this is regardless again if now they are refugees or the economic migrants the same people that come into the country and let's not get into illegal migration again i think that everything should be done to combat illegal migration because then in the end um actually i'm going to finish on legal migration because there's something that i forgot to bring up um in the end there are some human trafficking mafias that actually do benefit from the from the horrible situation to which people in very very precarious situations are submitted to this and and it was nowhere seen in the media or very slightly not as much a few months ago a whole criminal organization was stopped that was working between brussels paris and marseille they were working basically um with romani kids with romani families they were taking the welfare that the families were receiving and the kids were receiving. They were making them beg in the streets. They had an enormous amount of benefit. There were millions of euros in, in, in stolen money, really, either from the state or from the general public, of people that are really being under control of these trafficking mafias. So if illegal migration is not controlled in a way, you're always going to have people that are going to that are going to benefit from the from the bad situation that the weak are in and that is when the state really needs to come in but i'm under the impression that they just want to they just don't want to speak about the matter because they're afraid of the backlash that it can take on or how people are going to perceive it let's just stop with this fear let's say what needs to be said and let's really try to better the situation of all of these people that have had it rough and that they are going to have it rough and try to see how we can better their situation the best way possible how we can improve that situation for those people uh, and this is happening a lot with with illegal human trafficking in the eu and not just in the eu again in western in western society or even okay if, if you want to speak about uh, human trafficking in africa and middle east asia that it's also happening down there but right now i'm speaking mainly in the eu and that's an issue uh, that really criminals are benefiting from when it comes to the legal migration policies um, or at least how it's trying to get controlled in a way which is some, in some places not really controlled at all whatsoever and you cannot keep letting people in these very very dangerous situations having to cross in small boats the Mediterranean Sea and how difficult and dangerous that is 
just for the prospect of a better life, when in the end they're not necessarily going to find a better life because they don't have a predetermined plan. Because either the receiving country or the, or the sending country did not put the measures in place or the structures in place for those people actually to organise themselves in a manner in which they can actually migrate safely and they can get to that country with already a predetermined plan, maybe some family members, a job that they are there, etc. Right. Um, so that's something that really we need to we need to have in mind. Uh, and human traffickers are actually benefiting a lot from this. And that's where the conversation needs to be made because we're actually playing with people's lives and you shouldn't play with people's lives like this. So just stop the demagogy, stop the populism from both sides, get the conversation straight. Let's really start discerning what is an economic migrant, what is a refugee. Let's try to control illegal immigration as much as possible. And the people that try to come illegally try to help them in one way or another. But then again, we cannot either send the message that people can just interpret the law however they want to interpret it and they're going to have to respect certain laws if they want to stay here and they're going to have to go through due process or think also from the point of view of migrants that actually went through due process and actually did go through the legal way of migrating to a country when someone just comes in illegally um and and hasn't waited for a year year and a half two years to get their visa there's also a very big level of of inequality in that way, because people love the term equality, so let's bring it up now, of inequality uh, in the way that people, people that are really, that really want to do better, that want to be better, that want to be in a better place, actually do go through the right process, and they're the ones in the end being really jeopardized uh, by these measures and this way of operating of the, of certain countries. So that's one thing. Really, we need to make, we need to do, illegal migration is an issue. Um, now let's come back to the numbers um, on why it's not the same thing having to integrate 1,000 people, having to integrate 100,000 people. And the answer is pretty obvious because when, when you have some sort of migration, um, if you live in a city, you probably know what I, what I mean by this. They're always going to be there's always going to be segregation in cities. People are, are always going to round up in basis on culture, religion, uh, ethnicity, nationality, right? People are always going to try and stay, which is with what is most familiar to them, because the unfamiliar generally is scary. Um, and this is why I always try to bring in when, when in terms of, of, of inclusion and integration, which is not always the same thing. Again, inclusion is when you include people in a certain society. Integration is when you, you, you try to make it has as homogenous as possible, uh, regardless of the ethnicity or culture of people, so that actually people are interlinked between them. Inclusion, if just if you have them in one same space, but they don't necessarily speak between them or interact between them, which is um, some different concepts and different definitions that really need to get need to get under, need to be understood. Let's say. So again, let's come back to the numbers. Uh, that's why an influx, a migration influx, needs to be controlled in a way, and um, because you're always going to have the risk. And this again, when we come to the porous, to the porosity of the borders, where it's generally one of the things that, uh, not just in migration, but generally between the right and the left, the right prefers uh, everything that's structured, let's say, and, and they like borders, they like borders. They, they like their borders to be as less porous as possible uh, to maintain that conservative structure. And the left is a bit, no, they, they don't like structures, they don't like hierarchies. Um, they want their structure to be as most porous as possible uh, with, this, with a much higher porosity, let's say, that, that the right might have, right? So those are um, 
main things to, to discern right now. Um, so when people come into a country, and, and we can see, I mean, there have been masses of influx of, of, of immigration, especially in the U, especially throughout the 20th century. Uh, for example, a lot of Italians came to Belgium to work in the mines. There were a lot of them, a lot of them. Literally cities were built for Italian migrants. I think there were also Turkish migrants between them, a few Spanish maybe, but mainly Italians. That's just what I have at the top of my head right now. What happened then? Uh, they thought people were going to come, they were going to work in the mines because there was there were many jobs at that point. There was money to be made here in Belgium. And a lot of Spanish people during that era, during the Frankist area, during the Spanish dictatorship, they went to, to Germany for the same purpose. So I have a lot, I have a big part of my, of my Spanish family that's also in Germany. Um, so basically, Italians went to, to Belgium. And what happened then is that the, the general idea was, and that's always what happens when when it comes to to migration based on work, let's say, when there's out of the blue, lots of work, and then people come to work and uh, you expect them to leave at some point. But what happens usually is that when they have a good job, uh, they see that their life in a specific place is a lot better than the life they had before, most likely they're gonna want to stay, right? And that's just a normal human reaction to say, okay, why would I go back to where I came from if here my life is so much better? The same thing of influx in Spain, uh, sorry, in Belgium, a lot of Spanish migrants that came in the 80s and the 90s, they stayed here for 20 years, they worked, they earned a lot of money, and then they went back to Spain, and then they're living like kings in Spain because they earned a lot of money in Belgium. Um, and that's also, I'm sorry, I have a bit of a, of a blocked nose. Um, and that's also... A, a lot of things that happened uh, in Belgium at that point. Let's get back to the Italians. So the general idea was that what happened in the end, they did not leave, but it was a lot easier for the Italians to integrate in Belgian society. Why? A lot of reasons. Ethnicity is one of them, right? Ethnicity is one of the reasons, whether we like it or not, it's easier. And that's, and this is not to make the claim that Western society is a systemically racist country. No, okay, that Western society are, is systemically racist, right? That's not the claim that I'm making. Is that ethnicity doesn't just involve skin color. Again, because for example, a lot of Sicilians, right? They they go more towards the brown black shade that actually go towards the white shade. So I'm not speaking about skin color specifically. I'm speaking about culture, I'm speaking about religion, I'm speaking about underlining values, right? So it was a lot easier for them to actually understand when the understand themselves with the Belgian counterparts and to integrate in society. Also, language is a lot nearer. Um, Italian from the Latin root is nearer to French, let's say, that might be uh, uh, Arabic or an African language or, or Mandarin, for example, or Japanese or whatever. Those languages are going to be closer to each other. So at the time of learning that language, it's going to be a lot easier for an Italian migrant to integrate in that society, right? So there have been some massive influxes in the past. That's not to say that proportionally nowadays, those influxes have been exponentially increased based on the 20th century, because the population has, in, has increased quite a bit and, and Im, Im, immigration just hasn't stopped rising uh, for some very clear reasons. Generally, um, the economic prosperity, the social prosperity that certain countries have achieved, people are usually willing to look for these better opportunities for their families and for their general well-being. So that's just general common sense. You always want to go uh, to get a better life for you and your family. That's just normal. Now you need to go through the actual legal process to do that. The Italians did that back in the 20th century, um, mid 20th century. Here in Belgium, they decided to stay and the integration went, went very well. If you meet quite a lot of born and bred Belgians, they actually, a lot of the time, do have 
Italian family names, uh, Italian surnames. Why? Because mostly their grandparents were Italian. It happens a lot also with Spanish people, with Portuguese and so on and so forth. Um, Spanish people, the Spanish that stayed in Belgium generally left back to Spain, most of them, but some of them still stayed. So that's an issue. So that's one thing. So the, the religion and the culture uh, and the language makes it generally easier for people to integrate in the society which they come from because they share common values or, or common language or a common way of seeing things, right? That's one thing. Now, when we come to the migration starting, let's say, mainly from the beginning of the, of the 21st century up until now, in the last two decades, let's say, it hasn't been as much of... Um, there has been a lot of inter-European migration, but then again, we don't really perceive it that way anymore because then the European Union is a free movement. So we don't necessarily always... Uh, define, let's say, now an Italian that comes into Belgium as a migrant, right? We just call him an expat. And um, why? Because generally people don't come here to stay to live now. They come here to work for a certain period, gain other competences, gain knowledge in different things, get, gain a new language, learn a new language, and then go back. That's generally the different ma migration dynamics that I'm seeing in comparison to 60, 80 years ago uh, in comparison to now or even less, 50, 60 years ago, um, in comparison to now. The, the inter-European migration is not necessarily one always to settle in one specific place. It's one always to, generally when you're young, to find another job, learn a new language, and then go back to your home country and get a better job in your home country, thanks to the competence and skills you've gained outside. Because I do think moving to other countries and learning other languages, learning other cultures, having other experiences is highly beneficial, not just for your professional career, uh, but also for your personal development, which I think that's also very, very uh, something that should be laid out. And again, not just within the EU, from just all around the world, any single intercultural experience is only going to be beneficial for, for yourself. Um, now, when it comes to the migration nowadays, which has mainly come from Middle Eastern countries, from countries that we don't necessarily share in the same history, we don't necessarily share the same religion, the same culture, is inevitably going to be more difficult for the integration. Um, and this is not me being xenophobic or whatever, it's just the truth. It's not going to be as easy to integrate people that have completely different perceptions on the meaning of life or on the general value structures or on the way society should be laid out, on the dynamics between people. Um, people really have different perceptions on, on, on those core facts, on those really pillars of society. It's going to be more difficult to do so. And when you mix that fact with the number of people that migrate to a specific place, it's inevitably going to be more difficult to have a successful integration of one thousand people than it is to one so of of a hundred thousand people than it is for one thousand people. Or take fifty thousand people or twenty thousand people, whatever, right? But generally, in, it needs to be gradual and and integration systems within the countries also need to be well laid out. People learn the language, people learn uh, the culture that they're coming into, um, people learn how the country works, what they can do, um, the welfare system, a bit of everything, right? You need to have some sort of integration system because then again, if you'd not do that, we're just going to go back to the segregation that, well, we're not going to go back, we're living it today in a lot of European countries. Um, people just being segregated on basis of ethnicity, religion, culture. Now, when you take that argument, they're always going to say, oh, it's because of the systemic racism and the socioeconomic situation, the precarious socioeconomic situation in which migrant families are under. 
okay, you can make that claim, we can have that conversation, but that's not always the case. When you try to integrate, there are always two parties. The receiving party that needs to accept, right? And the incoming party that needs to be willing to, to give. So they need to be willing to receive, they need to be willing to give, and vice versa. It's a two-way street, right? People want people need to want people to integrate into their society, and other people need to want to integrate into that society. If you do not have both, integration is just impossible. And this is why we can we can condemn the people that don't want other people to integrate, and we can condemn the people that don't want to integrate, which also happens nowadays. It's funny, when you speak about radicalism generally, and uh, generally Islamic radicalism, the, the, the most radicals, um, specifically uh, people that live here to fight, let's say, for the Islamic State, they're not first-generation migrants, let's say. They are Belgians, they are Belgians or Europeans, thirds. For, for, for that, I mean, when you're born in a country or when you're there for a certain period, you can be considered from that country. Uh, if you're here in Belgium for five years, you consider Belgium as far as I'm concerned. If you, if you were born in Belgium, from, as far as I'm concerned, you consider Belgium. So I don't really like saying you're, a, you're not originated from Belgium because that's just not true. Uh, you can take back as many generations, generations as you will. Then again, we all come from Africa, right? If you really want to stretch the cord as much as possible, we can all just say we're all African because we all come from there. But that's just not the case. If you're born in Belgium, you're Belgian. So let's stop saying Oh, these people, they weren't rightly integrated. I mean, they were born in Belgium. They're our third generation migrants. And again, I brought his name, up, his name up quite a bit and now it's just popped up again because he does speak about these kind of issues generally when it comes to integration. And that is uh, Majid Nawaz and he spoke again that um, his parents, I think they are Pakistani, if I'm not mistaken, Muslim Pakistani. Um, the, 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 the third generation migrants that are here, so grandparents, uh, great-grandparents, even parents, they are usually very well integrated in the society. They, they've understood what they've had to do. They've understood the game. They've understood the underlying principles of where, where they are coming and why they are here. The issue is not necessarily there. The issue is then after something happens, which I'm not entirely sure what exactly, but something happens trickling down towards the third generation. So towards the people that are really being born and bred here that don't even speak the the language that their grand that their grandparents speak, that have really be they have been born and bred in that country, and those are the ones that are most that show a stronger proclivity towards ex extremist ideals let's say which i'm not entirely sure why that is but that's something that needs to be laid out um and asked let's say why do you think that is and i think those are questions i really need to ask in ourselves now i really don't want people to start doing demagogy on these specific claims right i always want to judge the person based on their personality and their character if that person deserves my respect that person's going to get my respect regardless of their skin color regardless of their origin regardless of their religion whatever um and that's just basically it when it comes to, to integration. Uh, the numbers can't be just freely chosen. It's not as easy to integrate 100,000 people than it is to integrate 1,000 people. And again, that's coming back to the idea why I do think that Central European countries, Northern European countries, Western European countries should help the the surrounding, uh, the, the countries where that are geographically uh, around the EU or at the borders of the EU, which are the ones actually mainly living the migration situation because geographically those are the ones that are actually going to receive uh, the first generation migrants that are coming in. And now, and 
well, mainly coming into integration, we spoke a bit about what is the illegal mafias that actually are benefiting from 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 the lack of coordination and just the the incompetence of of not just the European Union but also national countries that actually have a fair asylum seeking policy and migration and economic migration policy, uh, which I think the, the the whole issue comes into there also and people just benefiting from those loopholes and and well again just for the economic gain of their own uh, criminal enterprise. So that's one thing. Uh, or a few things by now. But again, I just really want to make the distinction between what is a refugee and what is an economic migrant, and less to stop falling into the trap of the demagogy of the left and the right. Uh, people need to understand that people in the end are actually being jeopardized, are not the locals here. We're not the ones being jeopardized by this, but by these, this lack of understanding or of discussion or of dialogue on, on this specific topic and this specific issue. The people being jeopardized are refugees themselves. Because people are using, and this is just blunt truth, economic migrants are using the refugee narrative to actually take a spot where really somebody else needed it more than they did. Um, and I'm not here speaking in the names of refugees or speaking in the names of, of economic migrants. Actually, my family and I, we are economic migrants. Lots of my family has migrated economically to lots of different countries. Uh, my my well my my dad's partner migrated economically to Spain. Uh, my mum, myself, and my sister migrated economically to Belgium, uh, following the the great economic crash that happened virtually all around the world. But Spain was was really really affected by that um, by the real estate crash, by the estate crash. My my British counterparts hate that I say real estate because real estate is very American. So just estate. Um, the estate crash in 2008, 2007. Uh, so we are economic migrants in some way. Uh, of course, we had it easier because we were already EU citizens. Not anymore. Hello, Brexit. Oh, uh, one, now I'm, I can be considered Belgian, so whatever, right? But uh, So we did have it easier because we were in the EU, and this freedom of movement did allow us to have an easier process of not just traveling and getting to the country, and, but also integrating in the end because I was a lot younger. Um, my set of values or culture was European because I did grow up in Spain. So in the end, it was a lot easier for me to integrate. Uh, although it wasn't always easy being called this man, being blonde with blue eyes. Uh, and then again, something we're going to speak about. There's in Belgium, but this will be another topic. Uh, from what I've seen, there's a lot more anti-Semitism than there is Islamophobia. And we keep speaking about the enormous rise of, of Islamophobia. Maybe I'm just not in reality in itself, but I've seen a lot of bigger issues regarding anti-Semitism. Uh, not necessarily for me. I mean, I'm Catholic. I don't really, I, I don't really feel affected by by the anti-Semitic comments uh, that came towards me because I'm called Ismail and I'm blonde and I have blue eyes, which I'm not even, I'm not even Jewish. I'm, I'm Catholic, but whatever. Um, so, so that's some issues that I'm, I'm, I'm going to bring up a bit later. And the fact that I said before that the most persecuted faith in the world is Christianity nowadays. Um, and when it comes to minorities and religious majorities and, and, and all of that, and all of that thing, that also comes into the topic of multiculturality. And I can't stress this enough every time I do an episode, every single one of my episodes or every single one of my topics is interlinked in itself. It's just, it's, it's just everything is connected in a way. Um, because when you speak about multiculturality, you're going to have to speak about religion. You're going to have to speak about culture. When you speak about the economy, you need to speak about demographics. You need to speak about workforce. Um, you need... 
when you speak about social issues, you need, you need to speak about gender, you need to speak about sexual orientation, you need to speak about, um, I mean, I hate it, but ethnicity and all of that, or at least the way it's being portrayed, which I really despise the way it's being portrayed nowadays. Um, but in, in any case, so that's just the different conversations are just flying around. And I think soon enough, I will get into the, let's say, into what becomes the hate narrative, let's say, um, or the narrative that is being used to insert a certain fear in today's society when it comes to religious persecution. In any case, I'm going to leave it there because it has been quite a lo quite a long episode. I mean, time has gone flying, and I probably didn't even cover half of the things. Again, uh, I I really do want to bring a, a few friends over to this podcast that have gone through these hardships that I'm uh, that I just stated. Uh, again, I'm not here claiming to represent anyone. I'm just here saying the way I see things and the way I perceive them. I could be completely wrong, but then again, I could be also be right. And that's why I always urge people to try and think about these specific issues. And again, please, let's just start making the distinction between refugees and economic migrants. Um, in your house, if you have space for 100 people, you can't let 1,000 people in. And if you need to choose who you're going to let in, my my choice is quickly done. My choice is letting in the people that are an imminent threat to their lives, whether it's in the private or public sphere, whether it's based on the sexual orientation, whether it's based on their religion, whether it's based on their race, on their ethnicity. Every single human life has an intrinsic value. Um, but the moment to which their, their life is at risk is very different, right? So, so the degree to which their life is at risk can really vary. And at that point, you need to choose. At that point, you need to make a distinction. And I know it's a difficult conversation to say. I know it's not politically correct to say you can't accept everyone. I would like to think you can accept everyone, but everything in due time and in due process and following the the legal structures, let's say, uh, and with a certain sort of healthy dynamics that go around when it comes to integration. And so we cannot just live together well enough. Um, I'm just actually going to wrap up generally with, with multiculturality, even though I just, because I said I was going to speak about it, but I didn't really get that much into it. Maybe in some parts here and some parts there. Problem is with multiculturality is that every single culture for them to coexist together, they need to have some underlining principles of understanding, some underlining, uh, they need to be playing the same game. Some people can't be playing checkers and other, and other people can't be playing chess. We all need to be playing chess or we all need to be playing checkers, right? So that's why generally when people that came before and they have managed to integrate, they have uh, integrated into the underlying principles of what constitutes the society to which they went to. And then in the end, it's going to be a lot easier because they can still have their own culture, their own astronomy, their own religion, everything. And that's the beauty of it. But at the same time, they know how everyone feels and what the general playing ground is and what the rules are. And um, it's okay to have different cultures and different perceptions on, on the meaning of life, etc. But there are some main pillars that can't be moved. Because if you move those main pillars, the whole society is going to crumble. And then in the end, there's always going to be conflict because people will never be able to understand the other. And with a lack of understanding is when you actually start to encounter conflict between certain groups or certain beliefs, certain ideologies, and so on and so forth. Anyway, that's just really scraping through the, the multiculturality term, but I have brought it up quite a bit uh, throughout this episode. So I, I really do hope people make the links between all of these terms and all of this and try and see a bit. Just just to think a bit, just to think. And don't fall into the populism of right or left um, 
because both are, are equally nefarious for society and for the people that really do need safe asylum in European countries or in Western countries or in any other country that can actually defend their rights to life and to not be persecuted based on things they had no say over. Uh, their political leanings, for example, or, well, they did have say over the political leanings, but okay, again, I'm just getting uh, a bit wound up. Uh, sorry about that. But again, no, should, nobody should be persecuted violently um, for any reason whatsoever. I think I'm going to leave it there. So again, I really thank you. I know this episode has been a bit longer, but there are some which I don't really want to cut it short because I don't want to leave things half said. And I believe now I said mainly most things, well, most things in my in my mind right now, there are mostly a lot of other aspects to take into account, but that will be left for other episodes or other conversations or other monologues in the future. Um, in any case, I really do appreciate if you actually survived uh, 55 minutes of listening to me ramble around migration, asylum seeking, integration and uh, and all of that. But again, just really everyone just think for yourselves, try and see a bit what is the best way um, to look at this issue um, with your own eyes, let's say, and gaining different perspectives from everyone involved. Again. So thank you very much, everyone, for listening. I'm Isma Pai Civico, and this was The Civic Podcast. See you next time.